Friends, it's great to see you. Welcome back if you've been joining us recently. Uh, if it's your first time, as Emmanuel said, it is so good to see you. If you're here uh, for a baptism uh, as well, you are so welcome. We're excited uh, to see our brother Brooke baptized this morning. Uh, we're going to be opening God's Word uh, together. It's something we do week in, week out, every week. Uh, it's a key part of our, our gathering, of our worship service here at Rack Evangelical Church. And today we're going to be looking at three uh, chapters from the book of Joshua, right there at the end. Uh, it's in the first half of the Bible, early on. And you'd be really well served, there's quite a lot of text, you'd be really well served uh, by having your Bible open in front of you. We do have Bibles at the back if you need one. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love you to take that away as a gift uh, from us to you. We would love to put the Word of God in your hands this morning. So please take that away if you need that. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Joshua, chapters 22, 23, and 24. The chapters, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the chapters are the big numbers that you'll see within each book. And the verses that you're going to hear me mention, uh, they're the small ones. Uh, so we're just going to be looking at chapters, the big numbers, 22, 23, and 24 together. Uh, growing up, I went to high school in Scotland, and I loved being part of the, the army cadets uh, that we had at my high school. I did this all through my teenage years. Uh, that included, uh, even at times, summer camps and other exercises in my free time. I absolutely loved it. Uh, we would do physical exercises like running and climbing, uh, being able to tackle uh, obstacles. Uh, we do practical things. Uh, like learning how to read maps, learning how to, to fire weapons, to build things, destroy things. And we do psychological exercises, even sometimes without us realizing, uh, sometimes unknowingly, uh, where you would just learn what it means to trust those around you. Uh, they were held to the same standard. Yes, their boots were polished, their shirt was ironed, uh, their zips all kind of facing the same way. And for me, thankfully, all of this was done off the battlefield. We were training. This was just preparation for something to maybe come in the future. Preparing for a time when all of this would all be put to good use. We would be ready. We were to be a people and a group that was united, a whole unit working well together. This uniformity that I mentioned, it was helpful, but the unity was essential for how we were on mission together to care for each other, to be one body that moved and pulled together. So to know that if something affected one of us in our group, it would affect all of us. So as we look at these final chapters here, we're going to see a people, a leadership, and a God that cares about the unity of the body, how they will live, and how they will respond and whom they will serve. So as you look there at the text, as we look at these three chapters together, I think the main point of the passage, and so that's just going to be the main point of our time together, is serve the Lord your God and keep his commandments. He is worthy of our praise. Serve the Lord your God and keep his commandments, for he is worthy of our praise. And I think this, the, this text is structured just very simply into three parts with those three different chapters. So they're going to be our three points together. So we're going to look at chapter 22, a committed people. Chapter 23, a people charged. And chapter 24, a covenant people. 
Let's look at point number one. Look there at chapter 22 with me. A committed people. Just going to give you a quick summary to begin. So in chapter 22, we see the eastern tribes. That's uh, 2.5 tribes of the 12. They're sent out east, back across, back beyond the Jordan. They were promised these lands by Moses. And if you read the first 20 verses, you slowly begin to wonder what is happening. Got Joshua saying, hey, you guys have done a great job, great work, lads. Head home, take what is yours. They're sent off, they go, they're blessed as they go. So they leave Shiloh and they head off to their lands. Then if you look at verse 10, we see things take a bit of a turn. They build an altar, okay? Not too strange yet. Said to be a big altar, but we don't know what it is, and neither are the other tribes left at Shiloh. Presumably they hear about it somehow, and they see it, but either way, from verses 13 to 20, we're then shown this confrontation and this challenge about the purpose of the altar. And it gets pretty heated. We're going to look at that in just a minute. The other tribes gather to call them to repentance. They're serious. This is a big deal. Are they turning away from God? Are they rebelling against God? This looks like it's going to be messy. And they stop and clarity comes. We should be destroyed and rejected if this is the case. The Lord is mighty. He is the mighty one. He is, we believe it, but we are not turning. All of this, they say, this is a great altar, a reminder of who he is and what he has done for you and for us. It's a memorial. It's a witness. Let none of us forget. And again, there's unity. After this worry and this moment, unity is formed and forged. Praise the Lord. There is a witness. There is a reminder of all and it shall remain. So just look down there at chapter 22 with me. And we're going to spend a few minutes there for our first point. Look there at verse 4. We read how the Lord has given rest. He's given rest that he promised. The men there in that tribe, they're looking forward to a time of rest and return. This has been a long time coming, decades coming. This rest is longed for by the men. They have a mission. They leave this area with the rest of the people and they need to be obedient. Your final rest is waiting for you, friends. If you are a Christian here this morning, this is your mission today. We're not in heaven yet. Your job is to be here in this world doing what you do every day until our final rest. Living in obedience to him as we are meant to be a united people. And we look there at verse 5. We have a wonderful key verse 5 for us. It says, only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's taken for us straight from Deuteronomy 30, 6 to 10, from the law of God. It's a key word in verse 5. It's repeated three times in this chapter and again in chapter 27. It's the word serve or service. This word really 
could summarize our whole sermon this morning. Friends, what does it mean to serve the Lord? To serve is to do everything for someone. It's to lay down your life for someone. It's to do something for them and before them and under their care and under their authority and their oversight. What I want you to think of is the word adoration. Serve here also means worship, to adore. How a husband serves his wife or a wife lovingly serves her husband. How a parent serves their children or how, uh, how you in, at some point in your life may care for your elderly parents. It's care. It's love. It's tenderness. It's respect. It's honor. This is what it means to live life before God. This is what Joshua is warning and charging the people here to do. Serve God. Keep his word. Worship him alone. I hope you know that there is a, a huge difference between knowing what God says and doing what God says. I hope you see the difference. I hope that many that we know and realize that many people know what God says. Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his commandments. Cling to him. Serve him with all your heart, all your soul. Friends, this is hard, but friends, this is so worth it. I plead with you this morning. The things of this world offer nothing in comparison to serving and worshiping the Lord. Not that car that you would like, not that guy that maybe you would like to settle for, not that particular salary you have in mind, not that dream vacation, not that dream life that Instagram wants to show you week in and week out, not another person, not another thing, not even another God. Friends, it is only Jesus Christ that brings this satisfaction and joy that serves and sustains us through, honestly, as many of you know, often cruel and difficult lives that we'll experience on this side of heaven. God has given you the grace to hear, but also take this advice this morning from Joshua. So after this initial call for commitment from Joshua, we turn to this altar issue. You see that in the text. The tribes head out and they're on their way and they build, verse 10 says, an altar of imposing size. Though it doesn't initially seem like it, I think what we're seeing here is a type of holy zeal. There is no doubt that these guys messed up in some ways. And I do think that Maybe just some sort of basic communication about this huge temple they were going to build would have probably been helpful. But they did not want to forget. They wanted to worship God. Their heart was in the right place. But they got it drastically wrong. And they, they, we, see, we see there that they are being confronted in a very serious way. We're seeing... God and the other brothers here in the tribe concerned ultimately, but then they ultimately are overlooking and showing grace to one another. Friends, are you jealous for God and his honor? Are you jealous for God and his honor? That's what we're seeing 
here in the text. Both sides are being commended in these verses. The zeal of the worship of God on the one hand and the zeal of the defense of God on the other. Our communication is huge, as is going about things in a prudent and efficient way. What I want to remind us all is that challenging potential sin quickly with wisdom is very different to correcting sin quickly. When sin is clear, we must still ask good questions. We must still find out the information and then make an informed decision. Wisdom is needed. I think this is what we're seeing here. Tribes, thankfully, they're not rushing in with their swords drawn. They've done, and I think they're weary of battle at this point. Friends, this is the same, thankfully, with church discipline. should be the same with our discipleship. But most of the cases of church discipline here, which happen each year, they generally take months and months. Messages, emails, phone calls, visits, meetings, referrals, discussions, to find out information. And then, ultimately, to seek reconciliation. This is the desire, I think, here, too, of the, of the sides of the brothers doing the confronting. Friends, if you, in your discipleship, or as a church member here, if you are hungry for blood, I think there is an issue. This is how legalistic and then eventually secretive societies and communities are created. That is not what we want here. We want to be strong and and serious, of course, with each other, exactly as we see here. But we also want to be wise and gracious. These brothers are quickly challenging this potential sin. They're heading out to have some very, very awkward conversations. They want to see their brothers restored. That's their heart here. They want their brothers and sisters brought back into the people of God and not to be cast out and forgotten. They're doing this for their good and for God's glory. It's God who gets the glory when his people live in unity and walk together in love. The former sins are being reminded here because of the deep danger and the brothers warning are wanting to give. They're even referring back to Peor. The people of God here are on guard about sin in their community and we must do the same. This warning and the danger here is serious. Apostasy, really, that's, that is the real and present danger here for the people of Israel. I think you can just feel that warning in, these, in this first chapter. That's the danger that lurks just around the corner. Something we too must be aware of. The consequences of it are deadly. This is what we're being warned against. Friends, to turn from faith, to rebel against God, to fall to the left and to the right and forget his ways to ignore his commandments and no longer cling to him, friends, this only results in death. This only results in death. Read the book of Judges. Flick over later this afternoon. Read what happens. See how real this is for Israel. How easy it is to forget all of what God has done and to reject him and see what happens. This is serious. Friends, let me ask you, are there conversations that you've maybe avoided here in this community, in our family? Perhaps you worry more what people think 
than what God thinks. You worry more about what people say than what God says. That's really what it comes down to when you avoid awkward conversations about life, about sin. You're caring more about what people think than what God thinks. Care more about maybe upsetting or challenging someone than the God of the universe, the perfect creator who is perfect and holy and has given us clear commandments. Please, friends, don't build yourself a golden calf. Don't hide gold and silver under your tent. Don't steal the glory from the Lord and seek it for yourself. Don't steal glory from the Lord. All that you have is from him. Give him the glory. All that you have is from him and by his design. Give him the glory. He has given you his word for your life. His commandments. Give him the glory. He has placed you here in rack and surrounded you with these brothers and sisters to do life with. To embrace and enjoy that relationship and that accountability. Friends, give him the glory. Let us seek to point each other to him, to assume the best, to demonstrate grace to one another and patience and a desire for God's glory at all times and in every situation. I think the Israelites we see here also care deeply about the next generation, the spread of the knowledge of God to their children and their children's children. Read verse 27 with me says, between us and you and between our generations after us. Friends, I do think a, a Christian parent, if true, if that's you this morning, should deeply desire for their children to follow the Lord and to know him and to hear these truths and for these seeds to be planted deep, deep within their hearts from a young age. Fathers, I'm looking specifically at you with this. It's your job to to lead and guide and to guard your families. To encourage and assist to lead your wife in both this noble and necessary endeavor. So that your children might hear and might be saved. Surely we want our children to have a testimony of not knowing a day in their whole lives that they did not follow God and know his ways and hear his commandments. Friends, they must hear the gospel they must hear the gospel friends read the bible with your children take the bulletin home and sing great truths together pray together ask us for help start small friends please start somewhere this is our responsibility for our children to care well for them and to train them to point them to the lord so we have these Two and a half tribes, they've built an altar to the Lord to demonstrate their devotion to him, to help themselves remember. But for us, we have one that has gone. We have one that has taken the sacrifice, one that has paid the price, that brings the final justification we need, and that is Jesus Christ. Friends, it he that we look to in this land, here in the United Arab Emirates. It's Jesus Christ who has gone before us. Friends, we can be 
tempted to, to build and follow so many different things, to bow down and to, to worship. We know that Christ has done it all. It was there on the old rugged cross that he went, having left heaven in its complete perfection. Fully God, now incarnate, fully man to come and live the, the perfect life that you couldn't and I couldn't, none of us could, so that your life could be saved. Friends, you have been chosen. You have been welcomed into the people of God. You are an enemy of God. Now, amazingly, you are part of these promises that we're reading this morning. You are evidence that God keeps his promises, that the nations, which is all of us here this morning, as we heard in our reading from different tribes and tongues and nations, brought into the people of God. Friends, your life, if you're a Christian, has been saved and nothing can change that. It's this kind of wonderful security that now means that we, like these brothers here in chapter 22, they risk their lives for God's glory. It's the same for us as we live in hostile places to Christianity. I wonder if you know that it's, it's not just Saudi Arabia or perhaps Yemen or other places like that that are hostile to Christians, where it takes courage and things are difficult. I hope you know, I hope you understand that it's this whole world that is hostile to Jesus Christ. It's this whole world that hates and has turned away from him. No one is neutral to Jesus, not out there, not in here. Friends, if you do not love Jesus, then you hate Jesus. He either is God or he isn't. He either is who he says he is or he is not. Friends, do you believe in Jesus Christ or do you not? Do you trust Jesus Christ or do you not? These are all questions you must answer that you will answer. Bible is clear that if you believe in him and you trust in him, then the free gift of salvation is yours. It's guaranteed. You will spend eternity in heaven. But if you reject him, friends, if you reject Jesus Christ, you will be separated for him after death. That door finally closed, never to be open again. And an eternal hell awaits. That is the sad and terrifying truth for those who reject Jesus Christ. The the urgency is real. It's a very real decision and challenge that every person must face. In chapter 23, we move past this incident with the altar and we now turn to Joshua's penultimate speech recorded of his whole life. It's our second point in chapter 23, a people charged, a people charged. So again, another quick overview. We're told that this happens 20 years, uh, probably after the altar incident and after our first point. But the people now have their rest. They're established. And again, we're reminded that Joshua is really old. The book is wrapping up for us. This is our final sermon in Joshua. And we're all about to see what God has done. The Israelite people are going to be reminded of this. 
Same phrase from chapter 1 is repeated in verse 6. And people, especially the next generation, are warned and called to cling to God. They're warned. Prophetically, we know. The Lord will drive them from the nation. If they associate with other nations, they are warned not to break the covenant. For if they do this, they'll experience God's anger. But to turn from him means that they will no longer be able to enjoy all that he has promised for them. For he is a generous and merciful God, but he is also completely just. He is fair in all that he does. He is love. He is mercy. And he is justice all at the same time. So we see that people are charged, cling to him, keep his law. Look down with me at chapter 23, and there in verse 1, we read again that Joshua says he's old and well advanced in his years. Joshua's on his way out. The leadership is passing on. Because of this, Joshua gathers the people. He's going to charge them to call them to follow the same charge that he was given. The same charge he received from God in chapter 1. The very beginning of Joshua. This is how he started his leadership. It's how he started his ministry. And it's how it's ending. He's telling them how to live and how to lead. Look at verse 6 with me. That's the, the small number just after the big 23. It says, be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. You may notice if you're looking there that I missed a really key word from verse 6. Right there at the beginning. Friends, when you're studying the Bible, particular words are incredibly important. Every word is there chosen by God. Look there at the beginning. It's that word, therefore. It's a key biblical word. It means because of what just happened, because of what you've just read, the word therefore is a signpost. Pointing back and it's pointing forward. Saying because of what just happened, you can read this. Because of what we just read because of what we just read be strong friends look there at verses 3, 4 and 5 with me Joshua has been obedient to God's word and then we see the same subject of these verses again and again it says the Lord your God the Lord your God the Lord your God it's because of who God is that the people can take strength if you're parking your boat I don't have a boat that would be really nice But if you're parking your boat, if you did have one, if you're parking your boat, it is good to have a strong rope. And you probably, not probably, you definitely need to know how to tie a strong knot. You need to make sure key is what you are tying your boat to. Either it has to be one of those huge rocks or hooks of metal on the side of the harbor, Or if you're out at sea, it has to be one of those huge monster anchors. Friends, it's what the rope is attached to that is essential. Something that will not change. Something that will not move. That no matter what else is happening, it is fixed and solid and faithful. Friends, fix your eyes, fix your life on God. Nothing else will hold you. Nothing else, no one else is sufficient for your life. 
Fix your eyes and fix your life on God. He will never change. Joshua here is charging his people to be God's people because of who God is. We know that's not an easy path. They're not to turn from it, but God will strengthen them. It's not something they can just kind of conjure up and and do on their own, in their own strength. Again, the previous reminder is helpful. There is more land to possess, still more to be faithful in, but it's God who has fought, it's God who has delivered, it's God who has promised. The Lord who has pushed and driven. The Lord who has won the victory. But the Israelites still have to walk, they still have to march, they still have to fight, they still have to worship in obedience. Knowing that God has made a way, knowing that God keeps his promises. What we see in the second half of 23 is that he keeps his promises of deliverance, but he also keeps his promises of destruction. People are going to have to think about how they live. Who they live with. Who they will worship. God has clearly told them about the blessings, but also the curses involved in the covenant. There are then two key warnings. Look there with, at verses 12 and 15 with me. Verse 12 says, If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, verse 15 says, So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things, until he has destroyed you from off this good land. So I hope you hear that these warnings are serious. We see that within a covenant, if the conditions are broken, then then the covenant is completely void. Israel turns away, then what we see in chapter 5 is done. In verse 5, sorry. If Israel turns away, then what we read in verse 5 is completely done. To turn away and to turn towards the nations will mean ruin for Israel. If It will mean their bondage, their slavery, and their exile. All things that, in a sad spoiler alert, we know these are a real danger. We know that reading this today, and that is what happens. No one can say they did not know. No one can say, hey, this is really not fair. Friends, it's the same today and even about this specific issue. We read it in 1 Corinthians 6. It's Israelites then and now us, Christians today. We're meant to lead different lives to those who are around us. That means how we live. It means how we act. It means what we say and what we do. It means what we do with our bodies, who we marry, what God has said. Simpler now. God has made it so clear for us. Be like Christ. Live like Christ. Walk like Christ. Love like Christ. Don't live like the world. The result is the same for us. Pause to look with me there at verse 14. 23 verse 14. Joshua says here, I am about to go the way of all the earth. It's a clear reminder for the people. He is just a man. What does he mean? He's saying that like every person, we all know this, 
every person will die. This is a fact, friends. There is no dodging or denying this. You can't avoid death. Friends, if you're hearing this today, then the same as the Israelites, when you stand before God in judgment, which we will all do, every one of us, there's no doubt, that is a a fact. Every one of us will stand before God. Every one of us will be judged and will either have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his goodness, and God will see him when he looks at us, or the other terrifying alternative is that you stand there on your own, in your own strength, in your own sin, unable to say, I did not know. Unable to say, no one ever told me. Friends, you have heard, you have been told through this world and even by me again this morning. You have no excuse. Christian, here this morning, the certainty of God's judgment is sure. His mercy is sure. His grace is sure. Praise the Lord. But I beg you, don't push And test God by pushing and turning away from him. You read in Hebrews 6, the dangers and warnings of lands that show signs of growth but produce thistles and thorns. says, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you to move forward in the faith. We read here, I think, what it looks like to move backwards. Remain faithful to his word. Know that he keeps his promises and those who turn from him will receive their eternal punishment. Something they deserve for they never truly followed him. To some, God will say, I never knew you. Cling to Christ, friends. Trust his finished work. Know for those that are in Christ, there is no way and nothing that can remove you from him. Friends, look there with me at our third point, chapter 24, a covenant people. A covenant people, chapter 24. Again, just a quick flyover for us here. We see the final moments of the book of Joshua all happening before God. The people of God are gathered there before him. We have Joshua's final words to the Israelites recorded and it's pretty much in structure and in phrasing an ancient form of a treaty. He's outlining what's called a suzerain vassal treaty, a treaty between the Lord, the king, and his subjects, the suzerain and the vassal. The suzerain, the sovereign, and the vassal, just the one beneath It's a literary form that the ancient readers, the ancient people would have known. It would have been so clear. It would have been no doubt in their their minds. It would have been like you walking into a room with a film or a TV show playing and you hear a certain phrase, something like, to have and to hold until death do us part. And you instantly know what's on the screen. You instantly know what's happening. You know that that couple on the screen are getting married. It doesn't even have to cross your mind. You just know that phrase and that word order and that structure. Friends, the people here would have known this covenant that God was making. 
Verse 2 clarifies for us that this is God speaking. We have God's great mysterious work reminding the people through Joshua, his grace to them, that even, even Father Abraham had served other gods and had been brought miraculously across the river to the point where they stand there deep in the land of Canaan. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. History told the people were reminded in big sweeping strokes there what God has graciously and miraculously done for them. Battles won, rivers crossed, lands delivered, and then after these reminders, we turn to this call to serve, this call to live faithfully and sincerely before God. These are the terms of the covenant handed to them. God has done X and now he wants Y. He is worthy. Okay, so you look down there, chapter 4, big number 24, small number 1, verse 1. We see that Joshua gathers the beginning of 24, all the key leaders. We see a key word there. Look at verse 1. It says, they presented themselves before God. Central subject of this chapter and the whole book of Joshua and really the whole Bible is God. It's what he is doing for his people in this world. He is God. He is the Lord. He is the King. And so the people are presenting themselves to him. The language, the people, the location, all point to what is going here. They're back at Shechem again. Joshua's role and his legacy here cemented fully. When we see here in verse 2 at the end of his leadership, with everything else that has happened now opening with the phrase, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. What is coming? It's from God and it's for his people. And we see the, the same phrases used in Exodus 19 for the covenant and in Deuteronomy 31 for the leadership change. God is with his people. And our lives are to be lived continually, as we see here before his throne, as we present our lives to him. We too, friends, have been brought into a covenant relationship with God through the blood of Christ. We know that it is our whole life, it's your whole heart that God wants. Here in verses 2 to 13, that we then see a retelling of all that God has done, all his wondrous mighty deeds to their forefathers stories that would have gone back generations that all of these men and women and children hearing and knowing and growing up with these stories now they have their own testimony they have their own story god says i gave them into your hand i gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities you had not built Friends, look at what God has done. Look at who he is and how he has cared for you. Look how he's cared here for his people. Just a little side note in case you're, there's maybe one of you here this morning wondering, I do think the hornet mentioned is figurative. I do think it is figurative for the way God's fear is driving out the people from the land. I really don't think that there was a particular hornet that God used to drive out all the other tribes, but I am so happy to be wrong. 
So please speak to me afterwards if you really want to talk more about the hornet. I've mentioned a couple of them so far, but the word serve features 20 times in our chapters this morning. And most of them are in in these next 14 verses from verse 14 to 28. We've already looked at what serve means to love and lay down your life for someone and how with God and a king, it means worship. It means adoration. Now, Coming from the UK, I think this may be particularly easy for me to understand. We've had the same ruler, the same queen, Queen Elizabeth II, for 75 years I understand that there's just one ruler who the British people serve. There's just one face on our coins. It's all about her. Friends, even more, how greater is it with God? And where you place your worship and your adoration is the key part of the New Testament and the new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ. It's certainly the same with Israel here. In verses 14 and 15, we see the hearts of the people challenged. It says, put away the gods that your father served. And if you will know, yesterday was Eid al-Adha. It was a crucial day during the Islamic culture. Friend, maybe you celebrated Eid al-Adha yesterday. You're celebrating or sacrificing. I have to be honest with you will not help you, will not please our holy God. Friends, let me be crystal clear. There is no other God you can worship. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're a Muslim, and we read here in the Bible that God is calling you, he's calling his people to leave the small gods their father followed and to follow the one true God, This is the same for you. There is nothing you can do on your own. There is no amount of praying or sacrificing of a camel or a goat or a lamb that is required. And that is because God has come, friends. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Friends, Jesus left heaven. He came and he lived a perfect life. That is not something I can do. I promise. It's not something you can do. You cannot make yourself clean. Friends, God has provided his own lamb, like Abraham or Isaac, a lamb that has come, his perfect and glorious son, Jesus Christ. He has come and he has lived a perfect life in the same as the sacrificial lambs, God's wrath, that was meant for you. God's wrath was meant for me. It was poured out on him, on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And he willingly took this punishment and paid the price that you deserve. Friends, he paid the price so that you did not have to, so that many sinners would come to be reconciled with God, to worship him and to spend eternity with him. The same as in our text Friends, this is God's initiation. This is his promise to us. This is his covenant with us that he is making. He tells us in his word. We're not suggesting this to God. This the Bible, finished work of Jesus Christ. This is all God's big idea. 
It's all for his glory. So the world, world will see what he has, has done and will praise his holy name. That is what Joshua says. He's giving Israel his final words. He wants this for his people. He desires the glory of God. In the middle of all of this, everything that's going on, all of it happening to both encourage and challenge Israel, right there in the middle of all of that, Joshua confidently asserts on behalf of his own personal household, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what God, as he renews his covenant once for his people, for them to serve him alone. He wants you to serve him alone. So that, friends, his name receives glory in the lands through their lives. Friends, what about you? Who will you serve? Will it be the Lord? Will it be some foreign, false God? Friends, will it be yourself? Cannot serve both. Your loyalties cannot be divided. You're either serving God or you're against him. Our chapters and the whole book reaches its conclusion. We see this covenant is complete. We see a seventh memorial established as Joshua now reaches his death. Everything that had happened before is recorded, meaning it's written down to be remembered by the people, sealed in their minds and in their hearts to be passed down these warnings and these promises. We'll remove those cries of, we did not know. We'll remove the cries of, we never heard this. No one told us this. This is completely unfair. Friends, all of those removed by this record. And we see three deaths conclude the book and all beautifully point to the same thing. And I've said it a thousand times these past few weeks and it is still completely true. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Being buried in your homeland, it was a big deal for the Israelites, and I think maybe this congregation feels that more than most. We read the death of the Lord's faithful servant, Joshua. Israel's faithfulness under his leadership. We then read of Joseph's bones being buried where they were promised, and then the death of Eliezer, son of Aaron. Israel had been established in the promised land. They had received their rest And the Lord has kept his promises. Friends, we too have been promised a final rest. And unlike Israel, it is not one that we can lose because ours has been won and claimed and delivered by Jesus Christ. Left to ourselves, we would be exactly the same. What happened to us, what happens to Israel, had mess up and rebel and reject God. Friends, as we gather here each week to sit under God's word and we meet to encourage and disciple one another during the week, I hope you see that this is just a small break in the daily battles that we have been called to be a part of in this world. This right here is training and readiness for the battles that the Lord has called us to be part of every day as we do life here in this emirate for his glory. Thankfully, we're not a uniform people, but I do praise God for the unity of this church. We gather to remind each other of the commitment 
we have made to each other to serve God in this place, to fight for him, to fight for his honor. Friends, we don't do this on our own or in our own strength. These promises in our verses today are all point to the one that can, the only one that can fulfill the law, the only one that can bring final rest, the only one that fully blesses the nations and brings the people to their land, the only one that brings victory for me and for you, the only one that can deliver. Friends, they all point to Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings the nations in. It's he that has, uh, only he that has come. Only he that has won the victory. Only he that now has provided a secure salvation for all who trust in him. Friends, we stand on this side of the cross. We know the outcome. We know what happens. Friends, we know what God has done. Therefore, Therefore, we can live and then die, knowing that God is faithful and he is and always will be worthy of our praise forever and ever.